the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Timothy. Now this exhortation is for all of us. It says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The question for pastors becomes, who or what do you want to control you? Do you want alcohol to control you because there's the potential for alcohol to be addicting and controlling, or do you want the Holy Spirit to control you? You also need to take into consideration as a pastor, Romans 14, 21, which says it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that will cause someone else, a brother, to fall, to stumble. Are you a leader that professes the name of Jesus? You're being watched by the very same people you want to share His love with. So, how are you doing? Do you tend to take a time out from God? Making a small decision that could be interpreted as hypocritical? You'll notice that the Apostle Paul encourages the church elders to always strive to live holy because their actions and their words matter. Every decision doesn't go unnoticed. It's the same today. This is Pastor Gary's message today. At the close of Pastor Gary's message, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Not every elder is called as a pastor. There are some administrative elders, and then there are pastor elders who are called to teach. But even if one serves as an elder who's more administrative and not pastoral, even that administrative elder has to be able to teach in the sense of, the meaning literally is, one who is able to rightly divide the truth, one who is able to lay down doctrine, because their safety, you see, in the multitude of counselors. And one of the biggest problems facing the church over the centuries, not just today, but it's true today, but over the centuries, is false teaching. And it's a slow departure. And some of it is so slow and so little that it almost goes undetectable, which is why it's important that you have elders in a church that can spot false doctrine and can hold pastors accountable. I mentioned last week that, you know, there's a group of, of elders around me to make sure that I'm not going to go astray teaching false doctrine. And that's when, you know, my friend Dan was like, amen. And I know he did, I know he didn't mean like kick me out, but you know, specifically, but, but that, that's the safety net that a church needs to have. Because if a pastor starts veering to the left or right and gets off track related to the truth of scripture, that church is in danger. Because then the people, the, the, the sheep of the church, 
are going to be led astray by false teaching. And it can happen oh so subtly. Oh so subtly. You know, there, there's a rule of flying. It's the 60 to 1 rule. Those of you who are pilots, you, you know the deal that, that if you are one degree off on your instrument, flying, if you're one degree off from point A to point B, after 60 miles, you'll be one mile off target. Just one degree. So if you fly from New York to LA and you're just one degree off, by the time you get to LA, you will overshoot the airport 45 miles. Just one degree. And that's, that's the challenge of making sure that what comes from a pulpit and, you know, and listen, exercise discernment when you're watching TV preachers too. Uh, because, because there can be some error that's wrapped in some truth. And if you don't have the dexterity to separate the error from the truth, you're liable to believe the whole thing at, to your disadvantage. Now, you know, every pastor is going to have to stand before the Lord. That's why James 3, 1 says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers. Because those of you who teach will be held more accountable, literally in the Greek, will be judged more strictly. So every pastor and every TV preacher is going to be accountable. But just as a warning to all of you who sit under my teaching or or listen to any TV preacher or go to some other church, you had better be wise and discerning. I I love how Paul commended the the church at Berea in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. He, He said, comparing the church of Berea to the church at Thessalonica, he said the Bereans were of more noble character. Well, this was said. Paul didn't say it in Acts chapter 17, Luke's writing. He said the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. That's what you need to be doing. You need to do that related to what you hear from me. You need to do that related to what you hear from every TV preacher. You need to do that related to every Christian book you read. You need to be discerning of what the truth is. And the only way you're going to know the truth is if you read God's word for yourself. And so you, you have to get yourself into God's word so you can be equipped in your faith that you can know the truth from what is a falsehood or what is a lie or what is deception or what is a distortion. And, and again, it happens oh so subtly. So a pastor has to be able to teach. There has to be a gift of teaching, you know, to be able to get up and, and present God's word. But even those elders who are not pastors have to be able to teach in the sense of knowing right doctrine to be able to hold the pastor accountable for, for the protection of, of the flock. And, and so this is a very important thing. It's a very critical thing. That's why every single one of you, You know, read your Bibles, understand for yourself. There doesn't need to be a middleman. All all I'm trying to do is express God's word according to how he reveals it. But you don't, you don't need me. I mean, you, you have brains and hearts and the spirit of God to yourself that you can read and you can discern, you can understand. And it's important that you do that. You know, I, I hear people from time to time, they'll, they'll come to Cornerstone, they'll be like, you know what, you know, no one's ever explained this to me before, particularly those of you from the Catholic tradition, okay? You know, up until the 1960s, the, the, the mass, the Catholic mass was in Latin. You couldn't even know what the priest was saying was true or not if you didn't know Latin. So, you know, there has to be this equipping of the saints, which is you, you know, learning and growing in your faith, not just because you're hearing me teach, but because you yourselves are applying God's word to your own hearts and lives and you're getting into scripture.
and you're searching scripture daily to see if what I say or any TV preacher, any Christian book is true, just like the Bereans did in Acts 17, verse 11, checking what Paul said, making sure everything Paul said lined up with, with the Old Testament scriptures. He wasn't violating anything with what he was saying. So able to teach, understand doctrine, uh, recognize what is, what is true. Number eight on this list is not given to drunkenness. Now, um, this gets a little controversial in different churches, uh, so I'm going to tell you where I come down on this verse and, and you know, our stance here at Cornerstone. This will not be universal, um, but this is a matter of you know, some interpretation. Now, if you've been a Christian long enough, you understand that when you read the whole counsel of Scripture, there's, there's not a prohibition against drinking. The prohibition is against drunkenness. And I've said this many times, you know, when we've come to, one of the beauties of going through the Bible cover to cover is we're going to hit every hot topic, okay? And so some, you know, some of you love your alcohol. And so, and at moments like this, when we talk about alcohol and drunkenness, um, you know, I've always maintained that, the, that for the Christian, even though you know that drunkenness is the sin, the challenge becomes at what point are you buzzed? You know, 0.01, what you know, what's your blood alcohol? And it starts splitting hairs between, you know, when, when am I a little intoxicated and when I'm just dropped down drunk? You know, it, well, Pastor G, is it, is, is, is it okay to have, you know, a beer with pizza, but as long as I, you know, can hold my own and I don't stagger out, out of the restaurant? It, yeah, I mean, at what point are you splitting hairs? Okay, so here's what's important to understand about what Paul is saying here to pastors. Okay, this is, this is to pastors. This is to elders, all right? When he says here, not given to drunkenness, there in, in verse 3, it is the Greek word paronos. Paronos is from two Greek words, para, meaning near or with or alongside, and oinos, meaning wine. So it, he's literally saying here in the Greek, not near wine. Para oinos. It's interesting that when you look in the Old Testament, when the priesthood was first established, the first high priest of the Old Testament was Aaron, the brother of Moses, and his sons then became the first priests, and that Levitical line, that Aaronic priesthood, went through uh, the line of Aaron. And they were the Levites, you know, the, the, the descendants of Levi. Aaron was of the tribe of Levi, and so the priests were of the, of the, the tribe of Levi. And you could only be a priest if you were of the tribe of Levi, because you had good genes. <laughs> anyway, that's kind of a Levi <laughs> joke. All right. Anyway, wake up. Um, there's only one time that God spoke to Aaron and his sons. Only one time verbally recorded in Scripture where God spoke to Aaron and his sons. And it's in Leviticus 10, 8 and 9. And this is when God spoke to them. Then the Lord said to Aaron... You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Okay, so God had an opinion about alcohol and fermented drink among those who were serving in the house of God. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Okay, so New Testament is Ephesians 5.18. Now, this exhortation is for all of us. It says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The question for pastors becomes, who or what do you want to control you? 
Do you want alcohol to control you because there's the potential for alcohol to be addicting and controlling? Or do you want the Holy Spirit to control you? You also need to take into consideration as a pastor, Romans 14.21, which says it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that will cause someone else, a brother, to fall, to stumble. So for me, as it relates to pastors, uh, I believe that pastors are called to a different standard than the rest of y'all. And that is that when, when I piece together different verses, and, and to me, when I, when I just even meditate on paronos, near wine, we're not to be near it, uh, what it says to me is that the possibility of alcohol uh, doing more harm than good for pastors uh, with the potential to impair a leader's judgment or duties, to contribute to an addiction, or to cause others to stumble. And for that reason, at Cornerstone, pastors and, and elders voluntarily abstain, especially um, be, because it could cause other people to stumble. Some of you would have no problem. I've been to different places and, and been offered plenty of alcohol over the years. Um, and, and then I have to explain, you know, um, it's okay for you, as long as it's in moderation and it's not drunkenness. Uh, but for me, I, I believe that there's a different, there's a different standard here. And some of you might be, oh, you know, you poor thing. Well, uh, <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew 26, I think it was verse 29, he, it was at the Last Supper, he says, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So on that day, man, I'm guzzling. That's what's <laughs> happening. Um, but otherwise, I just think, I just think it, it's, it's a danger and it's prudent. Now, I know a lot of people like to point to, and later in this letter, even in chapter 5, verse 23, Paul's going to say to Timothy, well, take a little wine for your stomach because of your many ailments. So if you're sick or dying, then okay. But otherwise, you know, for, for all of us, I think there needs to be great caution. I mean, you know, we know the statistics, right? I mean, alcohol has done a lot of damage, and I've said this many times. But no one's ever come into my office and told me the wonderful benefits of what alcohol has done in their lives. I, I only hear the, the, the bad stories, how I lost my job, how I ended up cheating on my spouse, how, uh, you know, I had a car accident and I, I killed somebody. I mean, I mean, truly tragic stories. So for pastors, I, I just think to be an example and, and to be careful in this area and not to be given to something that could be addicting or could contribute to impairing our, our abilities to lead, that we need to be more focused on being under the control of the Holy Spirit rather than other spirits, small s, and, uh, and that we need to be careful, especially in this area, because it, it could cause others to stumble. So I will tell you that there are, there are other churches who will disagree with this. You know, I, I know pastors who drink and drink freely with their congregation members. And my conviction is just different. They, they, you know, they will interpret this in, in the way that they do, but I've explained to you why we interpret it this way and why I just think it's more prudent and it's more beneficial in the ministry that we just avoid this as, as pastors and elders. All right. So let's go on now. Number nine, not violent but gentle. I mean, that's one of those, where, does that need much more explanation than that? I mean, you know, don't be, you know, don't be beating people up, you know, and don't be, you know. I mean, if, if I were a rebel rouser and, you know, you were reading about me in the newspaper, like, you know, I got into another fight in downtown Leesburg, you know, outside of shenanigans because I can't go inside. Uh, yeah, you know, the, 
uh, you'd be like, what kind of a pastor is this? You know, he's, he's always getting in, into fistfights and stuff. So, you know, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. You know, even in 2 Timothy 2.24, Paul's going to write, and he says, and the Lord's servant, speaking about pastors and elders, the Lord's, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, instead he must be kind to everyone. So you try that for a day. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Numbers 11 through 15. Not a lover of money, manages his own family well, sees that his children obey him, not a recent convert, has a good reputation with outsiders. So number 11, not a lover of money. There are three main vices that bring pastors down. It's power, money, and sex. All too often we know too many tragic stories about some pastor who you know, just got way, way too big in his head and power went to his head and authority went to his head. And then, you know, he ends up disqualifying himself or he's had an affair or, you know, done something immoral and, and or money, mismanagement of money, hoarding money, uh, stealing money. And so this is one of those three issues here, not a lover of money. Now, again, you know, all of us should, should take heed to this. You know, none of us should be greedy. None of us should be covetous. None of us should love money. Money makes a wonderful servant, but it is a terrible master. It's a terrible master. You know, if you, if you are under the control of money, it's terrible. If you use money as as just you know a tool that you can be generous you can bless you can pay your bills you can be responsible you can you know use money to buy things and as long as you're not getting into debt you're not loving it you're not craving it it's not covetous then it makes a wonderful servant but it's a terrible master and pastors and elders are particularly warned here not to love money not to be greedy or covetous uh, not to live beyond your means uh, not to live extravagant lifestyles. I mean, you know, this, this is my opinion talking here, but when I, when I see some, some TV preachers or TV evangelists, you know, living in 7,000 square foot homes and, you know, you know, driving, you know, really expensive sports cars and, you know, having a, having their own Cessna, you know, I, I just, I think it's, it's just, it's a black guy on the body of Christ. I don't think it speaks well. I don't think it reflects well because it, it shows, you know, there's this materialistic obsession. And, uh, and I think that there's this caution here. Basically, wherever, this is just in general, I think a general principle that I think is, is good, you know, for pastors in general. You know, don't live above or below the, the median of the, of the congregation you're ministering to. You know, that's, that's, just, that's just good common sense. It's, you know, you shouldn't be a lover of money, you, you know, especially because, you know, pastors and elders in particular uh, need, need to be good stewards of, of their own finances and resources. Otherwise, how can they be good stewards of God's money at God's house? And so if, if you're a lover of money, then you won't be a good manager of money because Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, that you can't you know, serve God and money. So if you love money, you're going to serve money. Uh, if you love God, you're going to serve God, but you can't, you can't love and serve both. Uh, even later here in chapter 6, verse 10, he's going to say, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves for many griefs. He's going to say later here in chapter 6 that some people with such an obsession and love and, and hunger for money and, and just, you know, to make a lot of money, that's actually damaged their relationship with the Lord. Some have, have wandered from the faith, he says there in 1 Timothy 6.10. Now, some people misquote 1 Timothy 6.10 for the love 
of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It, it's the love of money, and it's a root, but it's not money itself. Money itself is not evil. Money itself is not bad. And if, you know, if, if you're in a position where God has blessed you and you're very successful and you have a lot of it, you know, as a Christian, that just gives you more opportunity to, to be generous. Uh, so, because the love of money, the, the way you break the love of money is to be generous. And the more you're generous with what God has given you, then it resists that temptation in all of us to love it. Okay, so money itself is not evil, but loving it can be a root of, of evil, all kinds of evil. Uh, now, number 12 and number 13 on this list really go together. Manages his own family well and sees that his children obey him. Let me just talk about this a little bit now. You know, Terry and I have, our three kids are grown, they're out of the house, they're all three married now. And so, you know, let me just talk about sort of in the past, since they're out of our home at this point. Never, never in my pastoral ministry did I tell my kids that they better behave because dad is a pastor. I never wanted to throw that guilt trip on them. Now, I knew, I knew in my own heart that if they ever went off the rails, and every kid can have, you know, a a little season of rebellion, but pastors, this is, again, one of these qualifications that is no small thing. And and, uh, so every child can have their moments, can have a little season. But if, if your child goes off the rails... You know, as a pastor, I knew in my heart it could disqualify me. But I didn't want to lay that guilt trip on them because then they would be in a performance-oriented mode constantly. I I got to always do what is right because, you know, I don't want dad to lose his job. And so I I better not misbehave. And so, you know, I don't want dad to lose his job. So, so therefore, you know, I never approached it like that, you know, and Terry didn't either. We didn't, we didn't want to come to our kids and say, you got to, we never sat them down and said, you, you, you better, you better walk the straight and narrow and read your Bibles and quote your verses because you're preacher's kids. And if you ever do anything bad, I can lose my job. That, that kind of thing's destroyed a lot of preacher's kids. I know some of them. They've walked away from the church, walked away from the Lord and, and it's tragic. And, and yet, Paul's writing here to young Timothy saying, you as a pastor, you have to manage your own family well. You have to see that your children obey you. And, and he adds there in, in verse uh, 5, uh, it's a parenthetical comment, but in verse 5, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? So, so while this was something I was very well aware of as my kids were younger, I never wanted to, you know, use this to, to beat them with, right? You know, like, you know, read, you know, read this verse, you know, and you better understand what's going on. So, you know, for Terry and me, our desire was we're just, we're going we're gonna to raise them the best we can in the ways of the Lord, and we're going to trust the Lord. That's what we're going to do. We're going to raise them in the ways of the Lord, and we're going to trust the Lord, I never wanted my kids to think that church was more important than they. Never wanted my wife to feel that way either. I, I can't say that I, I was always perfect in that regard. You know, there were, there were times where uh, I'm, I'm sure that was not in balance. But my heart's desire was I never wanted my kids to think. And, you know, no offense to any of you, but my family is more important than any of you. Okay? And here's the reason why. 
because my marriage and my kids for every pastor needs to be their first ministry every pastor's first ministry is his wife and his kids because if you lose your family you lose your ministry We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary. While this New Testament letter of 1 Timothy talks a lot about leadership in the church, the principles you find within apply to everyone. Each of us has a place where we can lead, whether in your job, in your home, or interactions with a younger generation. Are you displaying God's love to those looking up to you? It's not just what you say, it's how you live your life every day. And if you need some advice on how to do that, we encourage you to keep reading in 1 Timothy. If you missed any part of today's message or would like to explore other books of the Bible with Pastor Gary, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc today. You'll be able to listen online or you can download our mobile app to take these teachings on the go. And if you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to have you join us for worship this weekend. Just click on the Cornerstone Chapel logo at the top of the page at cornerstoneconnection.cc to get service times, directions, and all the information you need. One more time, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all we have time for today. Join Pastor Gary next time for more from 1 Timothy right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go but still you know, you're not alone. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the cornerstones. Your connection run towards your new life. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.